Well, just in being in front of this little camera for a few moments has made me uh, realize um, much respect to those YouTubers who do this uh, very frequently. This is even harder uh, than getting up in front of a large group of people and speaking. Uh, we're going to turn our attention, though, together uh, to the Word of God. In your Bibles, could you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6? I'll be reading from the CSB. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, um, forgive me as I have some things laid out here. I have my notes in front of me. Uh, I may be looking at my notes even more than usual. I've prepared some thoughts uh, that I really want uh, to share clearly uh, with all of you. We are in the season of Lent and doesn't it feel like as if the whole world, whether they wanted to or not, have been brought into this season of Lent together? The season of Lent begins on Ash Wednesday. And in an Ash Wednesday service, uh, one of the key components of that service is dust. Dust is placed, ashes and dust are placed on the forehead. And the words are spoken over people from the dust you came, and to the dust you shall return. Dust is the symbol of Lent uh, because it really represents that the three F's of Lent, as I've come to call them, are fragility, uh, our frailty, and our fallenness. Um, we're feeling those things in very new and powerful ways right now, aren't we? Our frailty. The whole world is being confronted with mortality, our fragility. The whole world from the most powerful, the most famous in the world to the most common and unknown. We're experiencing the fragility of life, our health, our systems, our economies, even the fragile supplies of the things we rely on, like our precious toilet paper even. And we are fallen. We don't always respond to things like this, to crises with wisdom and love and prudence. Instead, there's fear and there's panic, there's selfishness, and there's hoarding. We are all brought into this season of Lent. A few weeks ago, when we were very early on in our understanding of everything that was going on with this coronavirus, uh, my son uh, and I, we were in the gym and he looked up and saw this news story up on the TVs and it said uh, at that time, 16% uh, of Americans 
still believe that coronavirus has something to do with Corona beer. Now, now everybody knows what coronavirus really is. Forgive me for the humor and the laughter there, but I, I think this is a time when we need some of that, as well as sober thinking. Some of the questions you're probably thinking about right now are, what are we supposed to do? What is happening? Why is it happening? What does the future hold and how are we to make sense of it? It's for times when we are asking these kinds of questions that Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. As we've been studying the Lord's Prayer, as I've been reflecting on it, I believe that this part of the prayer is the prayer that we most need to lean into in times of crisis, in times of trouble. As Jesus taught us to pray this prayer, we can know with confidence that it's a prayer that God does hear. So this morning, as we look at this portion of the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, I want to do two things. I want to start. Uh, this is the broad outline here of what we're going to do. I want to do a little bit of teaching here. Uh, I think it's important for us to know what it means when we pray your kingdom come. And after we talk about that, I want us to look at how we actually pray this prayer. So we'll talk about what it means and we'll talk about in application how we are to pray it. First, what it means. And kids and adults, if you want to follow along, get your get your paper ready, get your uh, utensils ready. What is the kingdom that we're asking to come? We don't think in terms of kings and kingdoms anymore. Sometimes if we do think of it, we think of uh, kingdoms and royalty like their celebrities like Queen Elizabeth or Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, unless they've been banned from their kingdom, which I don't know the latest on that. The kingdom of God in the Bible is not a location, it's not a geographic place, it's a sphere, it's a realm, it's the realm where God's control and authority are exercised and submitted to. There are two senses in which the kingdom of God is used in the Bible. In one sense, in the Bible, God never loses his ultimate control, his sovereignty over the world and over the universe. Here's what I want you to draw, kids. I want you to draw a little circle that represents the world. So draw a circle that represents the world. And above that circle, I want you to draw a crown. A crown, just do your best, and a circle. God never loses his control, his sovereignty and authority over the world that he created. And we can take great comfort in this, even when things don't conform to God's design and God's intentions, when everything seems to be going haywire, when everything seems to be out of control, God is still on the throne and nothing can change that. Things like disease and virus cannot change that. When things are hard and mysterious and we don't understand what's going on, we can know this. God overrules sin and suffering and disease. He overrules them and he turns the tables on all sin, suffering and evil in order to accomplish good over, in, and through these things. In this sense, no matter what is happening, we can say God is still king. He rules over and he overrules all. This is so important 
But this is not the sense in which Jesus is using the word kingdom in this prayer here. How do we know that? Because he's telling us to ask for this kingdom to come. So that implies that this kingdom has not come, or at least that it has not fully come yet. In this second sense of the kingdom, sin and suffering are not just overruled by God's sovereignty. Sin and suffering are overcome. They're not just overruled, they are overcome, eliminated and destroyed. When the kingdom of God comes in all its fullness, when it comes in all its power, there'll be nothing left that does not submit to the desires and the design of God. Here's a picture I want you to draw now, kids. Uh, draw another circle. And again, adults, you can do this too. And inside that circle, which represents our world, I want you to draw the crown inside of that circle. Recently in our home, I just finished reading The Lord of the Rings, which is a huge book and a huge story to one of my sons. Uh, I've already read it with two, two of them. So we just finished The Lord of the Rings and I remembered again my favorite part in this story. The story ends with the king of Middle-earth, Aragorn. He's retaking his throne. And the people are wondering, has the king really come? Who is this really the king we've been looking for? And the people in the city say, remember what was said about the king when he comes. How we'll know the king has come. And there's a saying, there's a prophecy they had. That we will know when the king has come because the hands of the king are the hands of a healer. The hands of the king are the hands of the healer. We'll know the king has come when everything has been healed. The kingdom, in this sense, is what is meant by Jesus in the prayer that he gave us. Praying for God's rule to be restored over people, over relationships, over evil, over suffering, over sickness, over all things in this creation. And so this is, this is so key to understanding Jesus, understanding this prayer and everything that Jesus said and did. This is the central theme and idea in Jesus's life and message. The coming of the kingdom is what he proclaimed and what he previewed in all that he did. If you have your Bible, I just want you to look at a couple other passages with me. You're already in the book of Matthew. Flip to Matthew 4, verse 23. This is a summary of Jesus' ministry. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Let's also flip to a few pages over to Matthew 9. 35 and 36. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching, proclaiming in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. This is what it's like for the kingdom to be proclaimed and for the kingdom to be previewed. Like a movie preview, Jesus and his miracles was showing a preview of what it will look like when the kingdom of God comes in all of its fullness. He was saying, this is it. When God's rule is reestablished over our lives and over all things, the sick, the diseased, the oppressed, 
the harm, the enslaved, the hurt are all healed and restored. They're made whole. In his book on the Lord's Prayer, Wesley Hill says, this is what we're praying when we pray, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come means father. Make your healing reign more and more tangible and visible in our world. Let your rule assert itself ever more concretely in the places where sickness and evil still seem to have the upper hand. And this should bring us great comfort as well, especially in times like this. Jesus' entire message, his entire life was this. There is a kingdom. There is a realm outside of all that is broken, outside all sickness, outside all sin and suffering. Outside all that we experience in our kingdoms here. And you can come into this realm now. And you can experience this realm in all its fullness simply by faith in him. So knowing what this prayer means, this prayer is either the height of false hope. And a day won't come when all things will be new and suffering and disease will be overcome. or it is the grounds for all true hope that the kingdom of God will come. What Jesus began and showed us in his life, what he purchased with his death, what he proved in his resurrection will come. This prayer will be answered. This prayer shows us God's heart and plan for the world. It is a world where there will be no more coronavirus or any healing, or excuse me, or any sickness or any disease. All those things will be healed. This is what it means. How are we to pray your kingdom come in light of this? There are two senses of the kingdom in the Bible. There are also two tenses of the kingdom in the Bible. There is the kingdom that has already come in the kingdom that has not yet come. How are we to pray this? First, we are to lament because the kingdom has not yet fully come. The Lord's Prayer is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching all about the kingdom of God. He's teaching that the blessings of the kingdom of God can come in the here and now. He's teaching how life and ethics work in the kingdom. And he opens that sermon by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the humble and even the persecuted. He's saying, blessed are those who know and feel that they and the things that are around them are not what they ought to be. They're not the way that they are supposed to be. And they are not the way that they will be. He's saying, blessed are those who lament. Kids, I want you to draw another picture here. Can you just draw a picture of a tear? It can be a face with a tear, or it can just be a little teardrop. Your kingdom come gives us all permission. In fact, it gives us more than permission. It's Jesus' command to us to lament. 
to lament with honesty for all the ways that we experience the reality that God's kingdom has not fully yet come. Jesus said in his ministry, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Here Jesus is saying in this prayer, lament, for the kingdom of God has not yet come. Living in a world where God's rule over all that is wrong has not yet come means that in prayer we say to God, it's hard. I don't understand. What is happening? It's confusing and it's painful. Your kingdom come is the same thing as praying along with the psalmist who said, how long, O Lord? Why do you stand far off? Bring your kingdom. Now, recently I realized this. It came home to me in a new way. Actually, through um, recent events that were tragic, especially in Southern California with the passing of Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and all who were on that helicopter. As I was watching the memorial service, and many of you saw this, the memorial service for Kobe and all those who passed away began with the song. Uh, sung by Jennifer Hudson. It was a gospel version of the Lord's Prayer. And as Jennifer Hudson got to this part of the Lord's Prayer where she was singing, your kingdom come, it hit me in just a fresh way, in a new way. This is the prayer we need for times of tragedy, catastrophe, and crisis. When we don't know what to say or what to do, we cry out. It's a lament. Your kingdom come. How do we respond to COVID-19 coronavirus? We lament and we can cry and we can cry out to God. Sickness, viruses, aging, vulnerability, fear and panic, isolation, all these things are not the way it ought to be. And we cry out to God and say, your kingdom come. So this is a prayer of lament. It's a command to be honest and lament to God, but that's not it. The kingdom of God has not yet fully come, but the kingdom of God will come. So this prayer is also a command to long with hope. It's a prayer of longing because the kingdom of God will come. So we long with hope in prayer before God. Here's the next thing I want you to uh, draw, kids, on your paper. Can you draw an arrow, just a simple arrow pointing to the right? Point it over to the right. Hope. Hope in the Bible is not simply a wish, not saying I hope the weather is good tomorrow or something like that, or I hope you feel better. Hope in the Bible is living in the present according to a certain future reality, a reality that is certain. Sometimes we say in life, I don't know what the future holds. That's something we say often. But in truth, deep down we believe, well, I actually kind of do know what the future holds because I, I hold the future. Most of the time, we think that. We really believe that, most of us. But now, in this current situation, when we say, I don't know what the future holds, we really feel it. That's how I felt this week. That's how all of us felt this week. On Friday morning in the a.m., we sent out a communication thinking we would meet together. But by the afternoon and the evening, we knew that wouldn't be the wisest or most loving course. We didn't know what the future would hold. 
no one would have ever imagined that almost all churches in a region, maybe almost all churches in our country, would not be able to meet together in person. No one could ever imagine that. We don't know what the future holds. And we don't know the specifics of what the future holds in the short term. But we do know something with rock-solid certainty. By faith in Christ, we know the kingdom will come. We know that this prayer request will be answered. But there's a little bit more here that I want to share. So we're longing for what will come one day. And when we pray this prayer, we're longing for more of what will one day come to come now. We're praying for that future reality to break into the present, into our now. Kids, I want you to draw a picture. You could draw it next to your arrow pointing to the right. I want you to draw an arrow pointing back to the left. This is a prayer where we're looking ahead to the future, but we're also praying that what God tells us and promises will come in the future would come now by his grace and mercy. Sometimes when we get older, I've thought of this as I've moved from 20s to 30s to now in my 40s. We wish that the current us, me as a 43-year-old, I wish I could go back, back in time and talk to my younger self. So my future self could come and speak to my younger self and give myself some advice to save me some pain and heartache and stupid, <laughs> stupid decisions. If my future self would go back to my younger teenage self, I would probably say things like, don't waste your time with that particular girl. <laughs> it's not going to be <laughs> worth it. I would say this, this situation uh, that seems so hard for you, it's going to get better. I would probably say to myself, this setback, uh, this thing that you feel like is the end of the world, it's actually just a new beginning. I would say those things, those kinds of things to myself. When we pray your kingdom come, we're both looking to the future and that can give us great peace and comfort knowing what lies ahead. But we're also longing for the future to come now and we're asking for this. It's what Jesus told us to do. I'm gonna read another quote, this time from uh, a book on the Lord's Prayer by Stanley Grenz. Please listen to this, so much insight here. In prayer, the believer beseeches the God of the future with the desire that the marks of God's rule, forgiveness, sustenance, deliverance, and the Spirit's fullness may be present in the current situation, which is filled with want and need and insufficiency. Petitionary prayer, in other words, requests the coming of the future into the present. It's all that the right arrow is pointing to might come back through that left arrow into our present, into the now, into our lives. And right now we all feel the need, the want, and the insufficiency of so much, don't we? Our own bodies, our healthcare system, our own wisdom on what to do about it all. Jesus says, ask for mercy, ask for healing, ask for peace, ask for wisdom, all that will be there in God's future rule to come into the present. In Luke 12, 32, Jesus says, do not 
fear, little flock, for your father delights to give you the kingdom. Jesus is saying, ask for it because your father delights to give it to you. Yes, in his timing. Yes, in his wisdom. He will answer this prayer because he delights to. So do not fear, my friends, my family. Your father delights to hear this prayer and to answer this prayer. And as much, maybe, maybe more, much more, as much as we're paying attention to the news feed and the updates, may we meditate, may we reflect, may we pray this prayer together and long in hope, being bold to ask our Father, your kingdom come. This leads me to my final thought. To pray your kingdom come is to lament, it's to long, and it's also to lay down. This is the final picture I want you to draw there on your notes. If you could draw a picture of somebody laying down. Now, this isn't somebody laying down to go to sleep, although we know that that's the best way to boost our immunity system. So definitely sleep. Hopefully you're not sleeping right now on your couches. But that's not the sense I mean it here. I mean laying down our lives as laying down our right to rule our own lives, to control our own lives. Every time we pray this prayer, we're praying, God, you be the king, not me. Your agenda, not mine. Your timing, not mine. I lay down my crown, I get off my throne, and I lay my life down before you. This may be the hardest part of the prayer. The word kingdom gives us hope. There's a realm outside of this realm of sorrow, sickness, and death. And that realm will come and break through into this realm. Much hope. But the word your, to pray the word your, requires much humility. Laying down everything. This is harder even than lamenting and longing. Laying down everything. Laying down our demands. Laying down our timing and trusting in God's provision. Laying down our own wisdom and judgment and letting God be king. So if we pray this prayer, if you pray this prayer, we need to be ready for God to answer it. Think about this. What happens when a greater and stronger opponent or kingdom comes into a lesser and weaker kingdom? You can think about this as what happens in the movies when a greater force, when a greater opponent meets a lesser and a weaker opponent. What's most often said in those moments in the movie, the greater opponent says to the lesser and the weaker opponent, put down your weapons. Lay down your weapons. In praying your kingdom come, we are asking for someone greater. We are asking for someone with greater power, someone to come into our lives whom we are outmatched with by an infinite degree. If this kingdom comes into my life, I will have to lay down my weapon. Whenever the kingdom comes, all our weapons, all the things we look to to fight and to protect ourselves, all the things we look to to find security in, the things we trust for our assurance, we have to lay them down and trust in the king to protect us, in the king to be our security, in the king to be our defense. My friends and my family in Christ, 
no amount of hand sanitizer or Clorox wipes, no matter how great our stock of toilet paper or food or water might be, none of those things can be our trust. Yes, we should do all those things. Wisdom requires it, but they cannot be our security, our defense, and our trust. Only God, our King, can be that. He's the only one strong enough. But it's so hard to lay down our lives and trust him. But we can. Not only when we see his greatness, his power, and his might. It's the most logical thing for us to do. We're overmatched. But there's more. It's also when we see the greatness of his love for us. That we can lay it all down before him. We need to see how the gospel is the answer to that earlier question I asked. What happened, the gospel answers this question for us, what happened when a greater and a stronger and a more powerful kingdom came into a weaker and lesser kingdom, even one that was in revolt and rebellion against this king and his kingdom? The answer is found in the gospel. The answer is found at the cross. This was the only time that Jesus accepted a crown. In fact, as far as I can tell, this is the only time that Jesus accepted the title of king. When above the cross, it was written over his body. This is the king. Jesus is telling us, this is the kind of king I am. One who lays down his life. I am the king that took the worst that could come so that you would know with certainty that the best is yet to come for you. I am the king who felt the curse and the terror of being outside of the protection of the kingdom so that you can always come on the inside. I am the king who took on human frailty and fragility to suffer to die, to be broken for you so that you would know by faith in him with certainty that our lives will be made whole once again. This is how the kingdom comes, through sacrificial love, through selfless giving, through a servant who laid down his life to heal the world. So when we're afraid and when we don't understand what's happening and we don't know what to do, we pray your kingdom come. We lay down our lives before this king. We can trust him. So what are we to do? We're to wash our hands. Yes, but we're also to wash feet. First John chapter three says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Knowing the kingdom of God comes in ways that we would not expect through suffering and sacrificial service, through selflessness, through the cross. We lament, 
We long with hope and we lay down our lives in trust. And we look for ways to lay down our lives for those around us who are afraid or who are in need. We pray your kingdom come. We pray that God would bring good and life out of this great trouble and distress that we are in, that we could never imagine. We pray for that. We pray for more people, for all of us that we might lay down our lives before him, that more and more people might bring their tears and their hopes to the God who can hold these tears and who can fulfill those hopes. We pray that we as followers of the King, that we might show the world previews of the kingdom in the way that we are compassionate, in the way that we're able to love our neighbors by his grace, in the ways that we pull together to love and support one another like never before. I want to close with this quote. Uh, it's from Martin Luther's reflection on this prayer request. He said, from this you perceive that we pray here, not for a crust of bread or a temporal perishable good, but for an eternal inestimable treasure in everything that God himself possesses, which is far too great for any human heart to think of desiring if he had not himself commanded us to pray for the same. We pray your kingdom come. Would you pray that now with me? King of heaven, king over all things, we pray your kingdom come. And right now, in this office, in our homes, as we sit on our couches, as we look at our computers and we close our eyes, and bow before you, the King of heaven. We do lament and pray, Father, hear our fears and our cries, and the fears and the cries and the needs of those in our community. Be merciful. We long with hope for all that you have told us and shown us is coming to us in the future. Lord, we pray, be merciful to bring that into the here and now. We pray that many would lay down their lives before you for the first time. We pray for all of us that we would more fully lay down our lives before you as we hold on to hope and as we with humility seek your direction and how we can love each other and love our neighbors. Lord, enable us to hold on tight to all that you promised when you gave us this prayer, your kingdom come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.